as entrepreneurs, we all have to start somewhere. And there's a lot of things that we don't know. One of the biggest struggles that I had in building and scaling businesses was learning how, when, and where to outsource. One of the first steps is hiring virtual assistants for many businesses. And Nathan Hirsch, the guest on our episode today, is an expert in that. He started off selling textbooks in a college dorm. He's recently built and sold a software company. He's got outsourced schools. He's got SOP builder software, got all sorts of stuff. But along the way, he's learned a lot of lessons and he's sharing those with you today on this episode. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan. And in every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock, in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AMPM podcast. Today, we're talking to a seasoned business veteran, if you can call him that. I don't even know how you define a seasoned business veteran, because as I go through this, I'm learning that we're all rookies in some way or another, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Nathan Hirsch, and Nathan has been around the scene in the e-commerce Amazon seller space for a while. He's done a lot of stuff. Most of you, if you've seen him, you probably saw some content or some sort of reference to his VA company, right? And what was the name of that company? Free Up. It had three E's when I ran it. Now it has two E's. Now it's two E's. And you say when you ran it because you're not anymore. That's a company that you built and sold over uh, just the course of a few years, which is a pretty cool story. But the reason that we have Nathan on today is we want to talk about some more general entrepreneurial themes, some, some questions, right? And those themes are not necessarily like how to hire a virtual assistant, but let's talk about like how to scale a business. Let's talk about how do I, as a solopreneur, like your typical entrepreneur, which is what most of this audience is. Take that leap from, hey, I'm trying to do everything myself to, hey, I have to start hiring people. I have to start organizing some outside labor, but I have to do it responsibly and you know, inexpensively because most of us that are bootstrapping you know, can't afford to go out and hire you know, this next level talent that's going to be super expensive. So just to kind of set the stage, Nathan, give us the quick like three or four minute intro of who you are, where you came from, and how you got to uh, where you're sitting at right now. Yeah. So I started off as a broke college kid selling textbooks on Amazon. This was in 2008, 2009, competing with my school bookstore. Eventually got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off. And that's when the fun began. I started experimenting with what other products I could sell on Amazon. I started drop shipping before I even knew it was called drop shipping. And through trial and error, I came across baby products. And had a lot of success selling baby products. Amazon was a lot less competitive back then. And I had to start hiring people as my business grew. And I turned to college kids. They quickly proved to be very unreliable. So a buddy of mine told me about the Upworks and Fibers of the world, hired my first VA, learned a ton about setting up systems and processes and improving my experience working with VAs, a lot of which I, I teach today. But I really didn't like the other platforms. Just took too long to post a job, get 100 applicants, interview them one by one. And eventually I said, you know what? I'll build my own marketplace. So I set out with my business partner, Connor, and we put $5,000 into it. We built this really crummy software at the time and took it to market, going after at first Amazon sellers, providing them pre-vetted VAs and freelancers. And 
eventually got into the e-commerce space, mar- or marketing space, and real estate agents or whatever. And we really scaled that business. One, not using any office, no US employees, just me, Connor, and virtual assistants. And two, without spending any money on ads. So we scaled that over four years, hit eight figures, and we were acquired by one of our clients at the end of last year, which was kind of cool. And that's a whole nother story we can go into if you want. And now that I'm out of free up, people started asking if we could teach them our systems, our processes. Plus, we wanted to build a really good SOP building software. And that now we're working on our new venture, Outsource School. So that's how I went from books to baby products to free up to now Outsource School. So just to set the stage, Nathan, you have built your own e-commerce businesses. You've built a service-based company. You've scaled those things. You've sold companies. And while doing that yourself, you've got to watch that journey with probably thousands of other businesses too, right? Like you've seen the struggles that people had. You've helped find those solutions. You've seen mistakes. You've seen successes, all that good stuff. So let's talk about kind of your view on all of that together, right? From this like top level view. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they get to that point where they're going to start scaling and begin to outsource different labor tasks in their business? What are like three of the biggest mistakes that if you could get up on a stage and scream to people, don't do this. Like what are those three things? So to me, I, I like to figure out where my time should actually be spent, figuring out what my ideal day looks like when it comes to work, also personal, but we're talking about work, but figuring out, all right, is my time better spent going after partnerships, going after sales, going on podcasts? Is my time better spent on the day-to-day operations and creating the system there? Maybe that's a mess and I'm not going to be able to handle sales when they come in. So part of it is prioritizing their time. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs that think in a different mentality. They say, you know what? I hate sales or I hate marketing and I'm just going to throw a VA in there so they can handle it and I don't have to when that usually doesn't work. It's all about figuring out what are you actually good at and then try to look at that as a view of zero to a hundred and how do I get it so that I'm just doing that 10% and over time you're kind of chipping away at it. So a good example is my day right now. I, I go on my one podcast a day. I have two networking calls. I usually do one partnership call and all of that together maybe takes like an hour and a half, but I have VAs that are doing everything else. So I didn't just completely pass it off to them. Eventually I will down the line like we did at FreeUp. But I think one of the biggest things, they try to just outsource that whole process that they haven't mastered instead of just chipping away at it piece by piece and figuring out where you should be spending your time each day. Yeah, I was uh, just last night, I was talking to my coaching group about, you know, outsourcing. There's some things that you still can't outsource. Obviously for you, you can't outsource a podcast, right? Like you still have to be on that. Um, right. But you can outsource like the the production and the scheduling. When it comes to like e-commerce selling, I tell people all the time, it's extremely hard to outsource the research and like the PPC. PPC is something that, you know, most people need like an intimate relationship with. And even if you are going to outsource it, you need to have been able to do it yourself to learn it. We know there's a lot of really difficult things to outsource. We know that there's a lot of things you shouldn't outsource. But I want to take this in a different direction that, that I've never really heard anybody go before. And from your bird's eye view, all these different businesses, what are some of the, the most overlooked areas that we can outsource, the lowest hanging fruit that people don't think to outsource? <laughs> so for me, the, the first two things I always outsource and all th- I've had three companies, all three of my companies is bookkeeping and getting out of my inbox. And inbox might include customer service, but it's also just my inbox so that I'm not waking up every day and 
spending an hour going through emails. It's clean by the time I wake up. And I'm not very good at bookkeeping. I don't like doing bookkeeping. So just getting that off my plate from day one is usually a good idea. But then once those things are off my plate, I like to focus more on how can I, how can I use VAs to help scale my business? And I think a lot of times people are so focused on that individual sale, that landing that one client, that one lead, where I like to focus a little bit more on on quantity. So for me, it's having VAs that do podcast research. It's having VAs that do lead generation, but not just lead generation to go after a single lead, Go doing lead generation to find potential partners, doing it to find potential influencers to promote my products, and then using them for backlinks and SEO purposes. Because to me, all of those things, if done properly and you're doing them slow and steady over time, that leads to hundreds, eventually thousands of people. And those turn into really good leads rather than just going after that one client, that one customer. So for me, that's the fun part of using VAs. Gotcha. So most of the people that are listening to this are involved in e-commerce business or uh, looking to start an e-commerce business. What are some of the most overlooked opportunities for actually selling a product that people should be using VAs for or outsourcing, but they're just not? Yeah. So I, I want to talk about the organic marketing because I think it does apply to B2B, B2C as much as it applies to B2B. But even some of those processes that you said that, let's say you can't outsource it, you can't outsource the research, you can't outsource the sourcing. I would like to flip that as, hey, how do you outsource the first 10% of it? If you have this huge sheet of all these different products you need to go through, maybe figure out a way for them to make it easier for you. Have them market a certain way, have them organize a certain way so that it saves you time. You're still doing the same thing. You're still running the system, but you're doing it in a shorter period of time. So for me, I would look at every single part of my business. How do I make creating a listing less of my time? How do I make the research less of my time? How do I make the negotiating with manufacturers less of my time? What Whatever it is. And then when you get to the marketing, and I'm assuming a lot of the people don't want to just be on Amazon forever, they want to have their own website, Shopify, whatever it is, then it becomes kind of that, that numbers game when I was talking about. I mean, if you sell beer mugs, you should be finding podcasts that talk about mixed drinks and beverages and bars and going on them a few times a month, once a week. You don't have to be crazy like me and go on one a day. But that over time is going to build you better connections in your industry. It's going to lead to backlinks and SEO. It's going to have a snowballing effect that leads to more opportunities. And it's going to get you in front of thousands of people at once. And you can do the same thing with influencers to promote your products and have an affiliate program. You can do the same thing going after partnerships. There are plenty of people that have communities that are really good fit for your products. If you sell a product that moms use, go find all these Facebook groups that have moms and become friends with all the Facebook group owners. So there are creative ways to, to go about organic marketing and building up your SEO, your brand authority while you're doing everything on the Amazon and, and the PPC side. So if I'm, if I'm selling a product and I want to uh, get more eyeballs on that product and I've got a VA, what do I do? I just tell them, hey, go find Facebook groups, go find you know influencers and they basically put it on a list, prioritize them, put notes on them, but then you actually go through and make the decisions. Like these are the ones we should target, correct? 
Yeah. I mean, let's take podcasts, for example, and I'll give you kind of the, the short part of it because we have a, a mini course that goes into it a lot more. But so you would find, let's say, let's take the mom space or, or whatever. You find every podcast that's directed for moms and then you have the VAs record all the stats for the podcast. If you can find how many downloads they have, which is a little bit harder to find, yeah. but how many reviews they have, um, how many episodes they have, because I only go on podcasts that have more than 100 episodes because there's a lot of podcasts that I, I go on episode 20 and by episode 30, they don't want to be a podcast host anymore. Yeah. And that kind of wastes my time. So you put in you have them put down all the stats and then you can go through and again, see what is the best use of your time. Chances are it's going after the podcast with the most episodes. If you're doing it for influencers, the people with the most Twitter followers, most Instagram followers, you can also have them do certain research and what are the demographics of their community. If they open up the Facebook group and they see that it's not engaged at all or, or that the engagement is really a lot more males than females and your stuff is more towards female products, you can have a, the VAs do a lot more of that research for you. So again, you're looking at it from a big picture and valuing your time. All right. So you mentioned you have like five steps to organically market with a VA. Which step did you just discuss? <laughs> so I'll break it down. The first step is having some kind of affiliate program. Even if you don't have any affiliates right now, have a program, put it on your website, make it clear, tell everyone about it. That's the, the bottom lowest hanging fruit. It's just got to be there. Next is going on podcasts. And I mentioned that they can all kind of go together. The, the podcast host might want to be an affiliate. They might not want to be an affiliate, but going on those podcasts that are relevant to your niche for all the reasons we talked about before. Next is partnerships, which I'm a big proponent of. We did the same thing with Helium 10 back when we started Free Up. We said, hey, you don't provide VA services. We don't provide Amazon software. We have the same target market. Obviously, this is B2B, but you can do it for B2C as well. Let's figure out a way to get in front of each other's community. And we'll set up content swaps. And these could be guest blog posts. They could be podcasts. They could be webinars. It could be something even high-end. We've sponsored VIP networking events with Helium 10. That's on the, the upper tier, but you're coming up with ways to consistently get in front of other people's communities. Next is going after influencers, which is very relevant to people who are selling on e-commerce is finding influencers that will promote your products. And that really is a numbers game. I can't tell you how many influencers rejected me for free up, but it, by the end of year one, we had a lot of influencers promoting free up because we were consistently reaching out to them and our VAs were doing lead generation. Next is networking. I'm a big proponent of that. And, and I wake up every day to a list of, of relevant people to network with from my VAs. I'm not just going to reach out to the ice cream salesman down the street, <laughs> although he might be a great guy that that's, I'm not sure I can add value to, to him in any way. So you want to be networking, but networking with people in your space that actually make sense and not pitching them, not selling them, but figuring out ways to, to work together. Um, and going after the, those backlinks in the SEO, finding guest blog posts, finding lists of, Hey, top products that all moms should use find a way to get yourself on that list and be consistently reaching out to those. So you put all that together and you have a really good organic marketing playbook that's only going to complement what the traffic that Amazon drives you or the traffic that you get from Facebook ads or sponsorships or, or whatever it is. This is one thing that I've learned with virtual assistants. I'm not very good at managing them. I once had a VA that I hired from, I don't remember where it was, onlinejobs.ph or something. And I was just, set, I set up an automatic payment. You know, she's going to work 15 hours a week and uh, the automatic payment with PayPal. I was so bad about communicating with her and setting up systems and checking in on her. 
that I went like three or four months paying her and never spoke to her. Like, I think she just thought, all right, Tim doesn't want me anymore, but he's going to keep paying me. And after like three or four months, I was reconciling PayPal stuff. And I was like, holy cow, I've been paying this, this person for months. So what do you use for tracking, for accountability, for organization with VAs? Because you, know, you just said you wake up in the morning, you've got this list. Like a lot of them are on the other side of the world, the Philippines being the most uh, kind of prevalent. So you're not actually working the same time as them. Like, what do you use to organize your efforts? With FreeUp, I had plenty of VAs that worked U.S. hours. You can find them. The key is setting the expectation up front. With Outsource School, since I don't really care the exact times they work, but I do want to be able to talk to them, I create a hybrid where they work four hours before I wake up, and then they work my first four hours the day. So there's plenty of overlap for me to communicate with them. It, It really comes down to meetings. And I know entrepreneurs are busy. The last thing they want to do is add meetings to their plate, but I like short and efficient meetings. We have a 20 minute Monday morning meeting with all our VAs every single Monday. If I'm not there, my business partner handles it. If we're on vacation, we have a team leader that handles it. Each team has a meeting once a week. So customer service team, billing team, listing team, whatever it is. And then we do one-on-one quarterly uh, performance reviews. And I actually did one this morning with my VA. Again, they're not taking three hours, they're taking 30 minutes. But to me, that's how you actually hold people accountable. When you usually... When someone has an issue with the VA and they come to me, my first two questions are always, how did you onboard them? What did you go over up front? Because usually they skip that and they weren't on the same page. Or when's the last time you met with them? And I've met a lot of entrepreneurs, like you said, that haven't had a real meeting with their VA in weeks or months. And that's how stuff kind of gets off track. So to me, the, the key to keeping VAs organized is not the Time Doctors of the world that monitor every single thing that they do. Although I know the owner of Time Doctor, it's a great software. But to me, it's the consistent meetings and staying on the same page. And you're not just meeting just to meet, you're setting goals on what needs to be accomplished before the next meeting. And it becomes very cut and dry, black and white of whether it was accomplished or not. So another question I've always wondered, and this is something I've struggled with. Those of you listening, it doesn't matter what type of business you're in. You could be working for a Fortune 500 company. You could be just getting started on e-commerce. You could have a real estate company. It doesn't matter. There is a time and place to use a virtual assistant, right? There's so many applications for them. But one thing that I've struggled with is how do you define a virtual assistant versus an employee? Like I almost feel like like outsourced, you know, remote virtual assistants are kind of the redheaded stepchild. I have struggled with this thing where I don't think of them like as real employees, you know? I don't have a personal relationship with them like I do have someone in my office, so they're more expendable. You know, it's easier to fire them. Uh, I don't have as high of expectations for them because they're typically much less expensive, right? How do you kind of see the hierarchy or how do you see that relationship? Are they a different type of assistant or are they actually employees for your company? Yeah. So employees is more of a legal thing than anything else. So I don't want to give legal advice, but I do look at VAs as part of my team. And to to answer that question, you almost have to define what a VA is because a lot of people say that any whirlwind works from home is a virtual assistant. That's fine. But for me, for clarification purposes, I like to divide up hiring into the followers, the doers, and the experts. So when I'm talking about a VA, I'm talking about a follower, someone who might have years of experience, but they're there to follow my system, my process. If I don't have a system and process, I can't work with that person. Now, I like to hire my VAs non-US. I don't like to hire followers that are US, but that's just my personal preference. You can hire a follower in the US and you would treat both very similarly, 
So the main fact is you're usually not training someone to follow your system for like a temporary period of time. Some businesses do that, but for me to like train someone, my podcast formula, and then be like, all right, do it for a week and then you're done. Like usually that doesn't make a lot of sense. So usually that's more ongoing work or consistent work. And that's where they become more part of your team. And I do encourage people to build a relationship with them, get to know them. The doers and the experts, that's where it can go both ways. So the doers are more of the specialists, like graphic designers, the writers. They're doing that same thing, not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. And while some companies might hire a U.S. full-time graphic designer or even a non-U.S. full-time graphic designer, the majority of businesses are keeping them project-based. Like I like to build a Rolodex with my um, with my specialist where I have two to three video editors, two to three graphic designers so that when a project comes up, I'm not posting a job and trying to interview and find someone. I already have people that know what I like that are reliable, ready to go, even though it's not consistent work. And again, setting the expectation with them up front that, hey, it's not going to be consistent work. Are you okay with this situation? And only finding people that are and similarly with the experts, they bring their own strategy to the table. You could hire a Facebook ad person full-time in the US. You could have hire an agency. You could hire someone part-time or a consultant for one time to review your ad. So the, the doers and the experts tend to not always be part of your team, although they can be. Where the VA is the followers, whether they're US or non-US, I almost always recommend making them a part of your team unless it is some random one-off project, which I don't see a lot. Yeah. And I, I, I guess it's been four or five years now that I've either dabbled in or used uh, virtual assistants. I've got a couple virtual assistants that work with me now in the Philippines and they're awesome. One of the biggest mistakes I made was not empowering, you know, early VAs, not making them feel like they were part of the team. You know, they were just assistants. They were in, you know, in my eyes, expendable. And that transitioned to the rest of my employees and the rest of my team. And what I've started doing now is, you know, we have weekly company meetings and they're part of it, you know, and they have to have reports and they have to chime in ideas. But one thing that no matter how I've handled or treated virtual assistants or team members overseas, one thing that I continuously see is that a lot of times they feel like they are not part of the team. Like they come in with these preconceived notions that they're not embedded, you know, and, and the way I've seen that kind of manifested is, you know, they're on the clock, but working for other people. That's happened a lot because they don't feel like they're invested or they feel like expectations are not as high. So if they don't perform, it doesn't really matter. Or they're constantly scared they're going to be fired. You know, like they don't feel like part of the team. So how do you help virtual assistants or how do you recommend, you know, those of us listening, help our virtual assistants feel like they're part of the team? Because I think there is maybe a low confidence factor that they have, you know, and, and I know some of that, especially in the Philippines is cultural, you know, Hey, turn on your video camera on zoom. Like, it's okay. You can, you can like talk, you can be part of this, you know, how do you instill confidence and how do you instill that sense of ownership to virtual assistants? Because you do consider them part of the team. How do you make them feel like they're part of the team? So there's a lot of parts to it. First of all, those initial hires you make are so key because if they don't feel like part of the team, every single person that you hire is going to go to those people and say, hey, you've been working here the longest. What's it like? What should I know? And and they're just going to follow in the footsteps. So you got to get those initial people in there or you're, you're not going to be able to figure it out down the line. 
Second, it's setting those expectations up front. We have an onboarding process that we teach at Outsource School called the SICK method, which is schedule, issues, communication, and culture. And we go through a lot of that stuff. You mentioned about working for two clients at the same time. We set that expectation up front so they don't think that we're a new entrepreneur that's never hired a VA before and they're going to be able to pull a fast one on us. At the same time, if we want them to do a Zoom calls face, we're going to make sure that we're com- that they're comfortable with that because a lot of people in the Philippines are are not comfortable with that and a lot of clients me included I don't care if my VA ever wants to be on Zoom. I don't really do Zoom calls. I do all my communication on Slack and email at a high level. So not important to me can be important to entrepreneurs like you and other people. So you want to set that expectation up front and only find people that are good with that. Next, it's those one-on-one meetings. Like I just had a one-on-one meeting with with Anna, my top rock star virtual assistant. And as I'm going through and I'm giving her updates of the past quarter and our goals and giving her feedback, I'm asking her for feedback on me, on the team, on the culture, on stuff like that. And and if she had said to me, "Hey, like I don't feel like I, I people want me at the team at the meeting every Monday, or I don't feel like I have enough responsibility, or that you trust me, or whatever," those are things we try to pry out of them and fix and make adjustments. And and that that information is so valuable. You have to be able to get honest feedback from your VAs. And and if she had said something like that, I'm not going to wait another quarter to meet with her. I'm going to try to make some changes in my business, talk to other people and check in with her in a week or two. So it's a combination of getting the initial people on board, setting expectations up front, holding them to these expectations if they're expected to contribute during meetings or whatever it is, and then giving them a chance to express their concerns, their feedback, whatever it is. And the last thing, and I'll kind of send it back to you is, a lot of times it's super small things that you don't realize. Like I, we all have days where you're kind of rushing back and forth and you fire off an email or you're really direct at someone. And you could have said one thing that you've never thought twice about that offended them or pushed them back. And it's not impossible to fix. You can apologize. You can make it right. It's easy, but you got to get that information in order to be able to make a change. So you've learned a lot over the past several years, right? You were in college hustling, selling textbooks for date money, essentially, right? And that turned, that completely changed your life. You started, you know, selling e-commerce platforms before there was a playbook. So you've had to learn that. You figured it out. I'm sure you've made mistakes. You started hiring virtual assistants out of necessity, which, you know, you learned a lot. You became, you know, I guess you could call yourself now an expert at that, which turned into free up and You've sold that company. So looking back, I think for a lot of people, it would be easy to say you are uh, an entrepreneurial success, right? You didn't know where you were going. You followed down this path to, to see what happens. And now you've done some cool stuff. You've exited a company, you know, and all that good stuff. So looking back now, like at everything that you've done, what are some of the biggest things that if you could go back like 10 years and give yourself advice, like when you're starting this entrepreneurial journey, what are some of those biggest things that you would like scream at yourself 10 years ago that you would also like to share with those of us that are listening to this episode? Yeah. So two things. And one of which I, I kind of made adjustments on and one of which I'm actually learning now. The, the first is working with developers and focusing on software. I mean, we live in a pretty incredible time where you need to automate stuff. You need to be able to build tools. And if you don't, you lag behind your competition. And when we launched FreeUp, we spent out of that $5,000 investment, we spent 4500 on this really crummy software that did 
very little. People could log into their account, see their freelancers. That's pretty much it. And we took it to market and we're very fortunate that people liked our VAs and freelancers and our support and our protection, but everyone hated our software. And the first six months went by, everyone liked everything but our software. The other six months, we didn't make any software improvements. And finally, we're realizing that people are not using our service or stop using our service because we're not investing in software. We have one part-time developer who's pretty much just making sure the thing doesn't fall apart. So it took us a while to look at ourselves as a software company to learn how to talk to developers, which is totally different than working with virtual assistants and, and eventually putting Connor in charge of the dev team, but hiring a dev team, hiring quality assurance people to find bugs before other people find bugs and coming up with sprints and good processes. So that's one of them. And that's why with Outshore School now, we're very focused on building our SOP building software, simply SOP and getting that right and, and managing different from day one. The second thing, and this is more of like the time period, with, with Amazon, I never had to run ads. I never had to do PPC. I never had to run Facebook ads. I kind of got out of Amazon as Facebook ads were blowing up. When we, we started FreeUp, I didn't know anything about marketing. I mean, up until that point, I paid Amazon their 15%. They pay, sent me the customers and, and that was my marketing. So I, I had to learn everything from scratch. And I'm also tend to be a very lean entrepreneur, which isn't good or bad. It's just me. I've started three businesses with less than $5,000. So for me to go out and start putting money into Facebook ads, not knowing anything about marketing, didn't really make a lot of sense to me. So I learned the, the podcasts and the partnerships, the joint ventures, the backlinks, the SEO, a lot of this organic stuff. And I'll also add that free up is a very tough business to run ads too. Not impossible, and maybe we could have figured it out, but hard only because it's free to sign up. There's no minimums, no maximums. People might sign up today and not spend money for six months and start a project and end a project. So again, we just didn't really focus on ads and we were still able to grow it. Well, now with Outsource School, we haven't used ads for the past six or seven years. So the one thing that I'm learning this year and Connor and I are focused on is learning, okay, we have a good organic marketing playbook. We've implemented it in Outsource School and half the time it took us at free up. But now if we want to take it to the next level, we have to learn Google ads, YouTube ads, Facebook ads. And so we're kind of diving into that now. And again, before we outsource it, before we give it to the VAs, we want to at least have a good understanding of what's going on and creating a good system for it. So the two big things you would tell people is learn how to automate and learn how to market. Yeah. Is that right? Ab so, absolutely. So automation, you're talking about developing software. You're talking about building these tools and platforms. How does that apply to a typical e-commerce seller? Because as an Amazon seller, like obviously the Amazon platform is what you use is, you know, a Shopify or, you know, even like WooCommerce and Magento seller, you know, you've already got a platform. You've already got, you know, WordPress, you've already got Shopify, whatever it is. What areas of those businesses can they automate? Can they develop some sort of tools for, and it doesn't necessarily have to be customer facing, it could be on the back end. Like what is the lowest hanging fruit where people could significantly make a big impact on their business by developing some sort of automation? Yeah. And I think you're right. The average e-commerce person isn't going to be building their own software, although some of them can, but there's a lot of technical stuff. Let's just take Facebook ads and retargeting as you're having your, your, Website, connect to MailChimp, connect to Facebook ads to do the retargeting. So there's certain technical stuff like that. And you have two options. You either learn how to do it yourself or you hire someone technical. And if you're going to hire someone technical, you need to learn how to work with someone technical who doesn't necessarily understand business and all the stuff that you've learned. And you don't necessarily understand what they're doing, but you have to be able to have a meeting with them and be able to communicate it at a high level. 
and eventually ramp that up. And there's always going to be new strategies, new tactics, new types of automation coming out. And unless you want to be 10 steps behind at all times, you have to have someone on your team that can stay up to date and that you can have educated conversations with in order to implement those things in your business. Got it. All right. What else? What else are we not remembering to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much. I mean, we, we tried to stay away from the VA. So just focusing on interviewing and onboarding properly is huge. We talked a little about meetings. I'm a big person, a, a proponent of SOPs, standard operating procedures. I mean, when we went to sell free up, the first few questions they asked is, how does bookkeeping work? How does billing work? Like, how does customer service work? Whatever. And we had 30, 40, 50 page SOPs that says who does what, when in every single situation. And we didn't just scramble to build those before we sold it. We created those up front. We put a VA in charge. We gave them ownership of the SOP and had them update that SOP over time. And we did it all via Google Docs. And the reason we kind of stay away from, uh, or we did stay away from videos is because videos just get outdated. And if you have to replace a step, you have to hire a video editor, which is really why we built our new software, Simply SOP. But at the time, it was all on Google Docs. So I'm a big proponent of not only building processes, not only hiring, but documenting everything and putting process in place where if you have 35 VAs like we did, we're not, we're not, Connor and I, my business partner, are not updating all these SOPs. They're being updated without us consistently by the VAs taking ownership. Yep. So I want to, I want to kind of close off by saying this, and it's a little bit cheesy, Nathan, you can thank me for complimenting you later, but those of you that are listening, one thing that I've learned from Nathan here is that humility is important as an entrepreneur right? Like you have to figure out what your weaknesses are and figure out how to fix those. You know, you have to figure out what's hard and figure out how to provide a solution. And the other thing that Nathan does exceptionally well is he hustles. Dude never takes a day off. He's always doing something and he asks for a lot of things, right? Like, you, you know, trying to launch outsource school and the SOP builder, you know, project that he's got now. Nathan, the one way that you market that is you ask people like, Hey, can I be on your podcast? Hey, can I promote my stuff? Hey, can I figure out a way to help you? And you're asking, asking, asking. That's one thing I'm terrible at. Like I never asked for anything, but it does take a sense of maturity, you know, to have that humility to say, Hey, you know, it would be cool if I could come on your podcast, right? And putting in the time and effort to do that and never taking a day off is, I think, an inspiration for a lot of people. I know a lot of people that I know and even people listening to this podcast have watched all the stuff that you've done. And it was so cool to see the announcement that you were selling free up. That's one thing that, you know, everybody wants to get to. And, you know, we want to sell our Amazon business or e-commerce businesses, but selling a service-based business is kind of a next level. Like it's a little more difficult. You had to have you know, dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's and had those SOPs and had the good bookkeeping and all that stuff in place. It's hard to do. So uh, congrats, man. That's super, super interesting to have watched that journey and super uh, exciting to see, you know, what you're doing now. I appreciate it, man. It's been a, a fun ride. I really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, I appreciate the kind words. All right. So if anybody wants to uh, track Nathan and see kind of what he's got going on, he's got Outsource School, which is uh, an online course now to teach people how to use a virtual assistant outsource. You've got the SOP Builder, which just launched. Give me just a brief rundown on what that is. Yeah. So real quick about Outsource School. So we have courses on the fundamentals. So interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. We have our exact SOPs. So getting out of operations like bookkeeping, customer service, calendar management, then the fun part, the marketing. So SOPs for podcasts, partnerships, backlinks, 
And then to build your own SOPs, we have Simply SOP, which allows you to record a video and mark steps as you go. So if you need to replace steps, you can do it. You can give your VAs access, you can share it, and people can get all these things separately on our site, or you can become a member of Outsource School for a yearly fee and you get access to everything. So that's what we're working on with Outsource School. And I also have a coupon, Helium 10. If you put Helium 10 on any of our products on Outsource School, uh, you save $50. So that'll be there for people. And SOP Builder. Yeah, so that's simply SOP. So if you record a video and let's say that it's a 10-step video. So as you're recording it, you're marking it step-by-step as you go. Gotcha. When you're done, you can add text to it. And then if you need to replace step three, you can easily do it. You don't have to hire a video editor. And you also give your VAs access, remove their access. We're also making it so you can connect it to any other tools that you use. So your Asana, your Trello, whatever you want. That's really, really awesome. Well, thanks, Nathan, for being on. Guys, follow him on Facebook. He's always putting good content out there and dropping in other Facebook groups. Appreciate you being on, Nathan. Those of you that have listened to this, if you found something valuable in here, make sure to reach out and let Nathan know. And also, if you would, leave a review on the podcast. The more uh, reviews we get, the more love we get, the more we get shared on iTunes and all that good stuff. And uh, I think that would be exceptionally cool to see some of the reviews pop up. Make sure that you follow us. Hit the like button or subscribe button wherever you're listening to this on. And uh, share it with any friends. If you've got someone that's looking to, to build a business, scale their business, and this is good information, make sure to share it with them. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks, Tim.